Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. This morning's scripture comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear now God's word. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to me and to you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the person in charge of the banquet. So they took it. When the person in charge tasted the water that had been turned into wine, it did not know where it had come from. Though the servants had drawn the water, knew that the person called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they remained there a few days. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning once again, church. I'm Pastor Corey, and today is Mother's Day, and our story, thank you, happy Mother's Day to you. Our story today from Scripture is very fitting because it centers on the interaction between Jesus and his mother, Mary. It's also fitting because we are continuing our sermon series, Feasting with Jesus, and today we are reflecting at the miracle at Cana, (coughs) where Jesus transforms water into wine. But before we jump into our passage, I always feel a responsibility on Mother's Day to acknowledge that this day is both a joyous and a complicated day. It is where many of us celebrate, but also a day for some of us that is painful. And as a church, we hold all of those experiences together. We honor everyone's story, and we acknowledge it, and we offer it to God. So I want to take a moment, just offer a prayer for all of us today that is adapted from a prayer on the Shemala Forum. Let us pray. Mother God, who tends to us as a hen to her chicks, we come to you today holding one another and lifting one another up. God, our parent, hear our prayer. We pray today for those with good mother relationships. May you treasure the time and the relationship you have with your mother, the hard work and tears it's taken to keep that relationship good, and the joy that Mother's Day brings. God, our parent, Hear our prayer. For those who have lost mothers, may you feel the freedom to mourn your loss while remembering the good, the hard, and the missed opportunities. May you be surrounded by those that mourn with those who mourn and don't insist you put on a smile. God, our parent, hear our prayer. For those who've never had a mother, 
May you be supported by spiritual parents. May you feel seen and not expected to take on others' experiences of mothering as your own. God, our parent, hear our prayer. And for those with strained mother relationships, may you feel the freedom not to put on a happy face, to be honest yet honoring about your relationship with your mother. May the memories of good outweigh the pain of the present and past. And may you be allowed the right to celebrate or not celebrate as you see fit. God, our parent, hear our prayer. And for mothers with strained child relationships, may you feel honored as a mother, even if the honor doesn't come from your kids. May you give your children the freedom not to celebrate or to celebrate from a distance. May you forgive yourself for the strain. God, our parent, hear our prayer. For mothers who have lost children, may your motherhood be honored even when it is not seen. May your mourning be comforted and may the celebration of mothering children that are still alive not disregard the loss of those who are not. God, our parent, hear our prayer. For those who long to be mothers, may your weight be sustained and your longing be satisfied. May you be surrounded by those who can offer genuine support, not just cliche encouragements. God, our parent, hear our prayer. For those who have chosen not to be mothers, May you feel respected in your choice to abstain and not treat it as less than. May you be honored as a woman in the nurture you bring to those in your life. God, our parent, hear our prayer. For those who feel they've missed their chance to be mothers, may you find comfort in your mourning. May you find peace amid your grief. May your legacy live on in the children whose lives you have touched. God, our parent, hear our prayer. And for those who are mothers, May you feel loved, honored, and supported in whatever form of mother you are, biological, foster, adoptive, spiritual. And may your children call you truly blessed. God, our parent, hear our prayer. Amen. Well, as I mentioned today, we continue to feast with Jesus, and we do. We find ourselves as guests at this wedding, and Scripture says that Jesus and his disciples had also been invited. So we, as the disciples, can place ourselves as guests here. And weddings in antiquity, in Jesus' time, they were extravagant celebrations. Similar in some ways to weddings today, they were disruptions breaks from a normal meal that we might share or even our regular holidays because weddings were quite special. In ways, because they're rare, right? This was a celebration that one would anticipate having once in one's lifetime. And it didn't just signify two people joining together, it signified the joining of their entire families. It marked a transition. Weddings were high stakes events, intended to be full of joy and excitement and most importantly, abundance. Abundance of having all one needed. Abundance because its purpose in this moment was to foreshadow the abundance of the life to come between these two people. And as I've mentioned this many times, I love officiating weddings, okay? And if, you have in, if you're in need of it, Please, always ask me. I even, I even have a couple I married here today. What a treat for me. And I often all offer the same prayer at the beginning of a couple's reception. I always pray the same way. I say, God, may this meal be for this married couple the first of many, many meals shared with family and friends 
and blessed by your extravagant grace. I love to pray this because I want to bless this as the beginning of so much joy as a moment to foreshadow all of the exponential celebration that will take part between these two people in their lifetime together. Weddings are abundant. They're disruptive, hopefully in the very best way. And hopefully each wedding we attend, whether we're married or not, it fills us with joy at what community means, about what connectedness means. A celebration like a wedding reminds us that whether we're the ones getting married or not, that we're surrounded by one another, that we get to do life together. Thanks be to God. So at this moment, this wedding in Cana for Jesus, it's meant to remind us that the gift of community and relationship is a gift to be celebrated. It's one to disrupt our day-to-day and indulge us in a foretaste of God's heavenly banquet, of the kingdom of God. And we know that Jesus models fasting for us in other instances in scripture, but today Jesus models celebration, joyous indulgence in his first act of public ministry. And in his joy and celebration, he's not reckless or neglectful of the many needs of the world around him. He doesn't choose a life that is either all or nothing. He doesn't live just a life of service or indulgent frivolity. He lives beyond this or that and models a way of living that is both sacrificial in the face of need and hope and participatory in the midst of joy and celebration. I love it. This story is so human and it's so divine. And as always, it's an invitation to us. Jesus shows up at a wedding. And I've just started watching the series, The Chosen, at the recommendation of some of you. And it's very, it's very interesting. It's a scripted series that is inspired by the Gospels. And right now, the first season is on Netflix, if anybody needs to. And it imagines what this moment would have been like. And so in my research this week, I watched that episode for you all. <laughs> and I love the way that it paints the picture, right? It imagines that this wedding... It's for Jesus' mother, Mary. It's her best friend's son's wedding. So that's why it gives us a clue as to why, why Jesus and his entire family have been invited. They're, they're intimately connected. It also explains to us why the wine is so important to Mary, right? Why is she so interested in whether or not this wedding party has enough wine? She doesn't want her best friend to be embarrassed. They want to impress the bride's family. And I love the picture it paints. Jesus comes from humble origins. He's not wealthy. His earthly father is a craftsman in a small village. So you can imagine the same is true for the folks that they are in community with. So this wedding is an extravagant celebration for folks who don't have a lot. And one thing that both the series The Chosen and the commentaries that I read point out is that it may have actually been Jesus' fault a little bit why they ran out of wine before they should have. He brings all of his disciples. And even though it says that they were invited, I mean, usually when you get an invitation and it's like you and a guest, it's not 12 of your best friends you bring along, right? (laughs) But I'm sure they they haven't seen Jesus for a while. He's been traveling, so they're excited to see him. And they're like, yes, just bring, come on in. We would love to have him. But probably a little bit unexpected and a little unprepared for As the celebration continues, somehow Mary finds out, and not everybody knows, 
that the wine is out, but she knows there's no more wine. And this, this is the moment she decides that she is cashing in 30 years of keeping it under wraps that she birthed the savior of the universe. <laughs> this is the moment she's like, you know, I've supported you all your life, and this is what I want in return. Whether your time has come or not, today's my time, and we need more wine. I have a feeling this wedding may have actually intersected with Mother's Day uh, because it's such a bold request. And we know she's serious because Jesus pretends for exactly one sentence that he's not going to honor her request. He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. <coughs> she doesn't even respond to him. She doesn't. But she just turns. She gives him some eyes, I imagine. All the moms in here, can they know the eyes. So she gives him some eyes, and she just tells the servants, do whatever he says. And we know those eyes. We can also imagine that there might have been some whispering that the, the disciples weren't close enough to hear and write down. But I imagine it probably went something like this through teeth. Jesus, you better. You better bet your hour has come tonight. <laughs> and Jesus, you might be healing the sick. Maybe feeding the hungry and freeing the oppressed, but that does not give you permission to ruin a perfectly good party. <laughs> Do you understand me? And so he does, because he's a good Jewish son. And in many ways, this story, it's lighthearted. Come on. I mean, people can live without wine. No one's survival or immediate health is at stake here. But then on another level, it reveals how much Jesus cares about the things we care about the things that make us come alive and remind us of the joy it is to, to be human and to be in community. Whenever I approach scripture, there are three questions I like to hold on to. What does this text say about God? What does this text say about us as humans? And what does this text say about the relationship between humans and God? And as I read this passage, I am struck by a God who listens. What concern of this is mine, woman. Well, for Mary, this wine conundrum is a very real concern. And therefore, to Jesus, it becomes a real concern, a real need to be met. So we can glean and trust that Jesus listens to our desires in this story. And something else that stands out to me here is that Jesus' world was a heavy one. We know that. We hear it every single week as we dive into scripture. We know that people need healing. We know that people need liberation. People need a savior. And while Jesus is always so attuned to all of those needs, he still finds a reason. He still finds a place. He still seeks out and experiences joy, celebration, restoration in community, a place to come and literally have our cups filled the opportunity to, to enjoy one another in a, a good meal, indulge in celebration. I mean, what a gift to be offered and modeled for us. We have such an inclination to be disheartened and weighed down by the pain and brokenness of the world. I mean, every day. And in places in scripture, Jesus calls us to be mindful, and not only to be mindful, but to take action to remedy that brokenness. But that's not the only characteristic of God that we witness. God is a God of thanksgiving and rejoicing and of making wine so the celebration may continue. 
Now, again, when I approach this text, what does it reveal about us as humans? <coughs> Thought I'd let you think about that one for a second. <laughs> what does it reveal about us as humans? First, that we're slightly consumed by ourselves in our current situations. And it's probably not surprising to any of us, but Jesus tries to point Mary to a larger story, a bigger picture. When he says, my time has not yet come, Jesus' work is at a cosmic level. He is saving the whole world. And Mary, of all people, she knows Jesus' path. But she is still completely consumed by her own story, by her own circumstance, by this singular moment in time. And Jesus, in his love and in his compassion, he honors her particularity. But I think Jesus is pointing her and us towards seeing a broader, a grander picture that sometimes we lose sight of. The kingdom of God is coming, and it is here, and its timing is beyond our control. But we get to participate in it. Our stories are contributing to the larger cosmic story of Jesus reconciling all things, all people, to himself. And I do think sometimes we lose sight of the big picture when we're preoccupied by the lack of wine. Something else that stands out about us as humans, about our humanity, is that sometimes we attribute God's great miracles in our own lives and the ones we witness to one another. Which I don't think is always wrong. We are the body of Christ. But I think it underestimates the work of the Spirit. You see, the master of the banquet, the MC. I guess he was kind of like the DJ of the day. He assumes that the bridegroom orchestrated this whole event, serving the very best wine for last. He, the bridegroom's usurped everyone's expectations because people always serve the chief wine last. And scripture doesn't leave it to our imaginations. They, they serve the chief wine last because everyone's so inebriated they can't enjoy it. But the master of the banquet, he announces that the bridegroom honors us all by offering this gift of the best wine last. And there's symbolism here because we know elsewhere in scripture that the real bridegroom is Jesus, right? And we, as his community of disciples, we are the bride. So there are two stories happening simultaneously. I think for the master of the banquet, he sees this gift as a human offering, Instead of as a blessing from God, and even if that was the bridegroom's plan all along and Jesus hadn't transformed the water into wine, they'd still be missing an opportunity to acknowledge the goodness of God, the abundance of God, the provision, the gift. We miss the opportunity to offer thanksgiving to God, especially in the midst of abundance and celebration when we attribute all the work to that of our own hands. But everything we have and everything we are is a gift from God. Everything. And then lastly, what does this story tell us about the relationship between humanity and God? I think first it reveals the level of intimacy, of closeness that we can have with God. You see, Jesus cares about the nitty-gritty. Jesus cares about the details. And ultimately, he cares, even if it takes a little convincing on our part. He cares about the things that concern us. 
And this passage also reveals that Jesus isn't just concerned with us in our times of need or desperation, in moments when the world feels overwhelming and we can barely keep our head above water. Jesus, of course, is with us in those moments. But Jesus very much desires to be a companion in our celebration, in our abundance, in the joyous and extravagant. When things feel beautiful, Jesus longs for those moments of relationship too. I think sometimes we can be hard on ourselves. We feel guilty when we celebrate or when something that we've been praying or longing for comes to fruition. We feel shame in finding joy because others may be experiencing pain or heartache. And that compassion is beautiful because that's the love and grace and empathy for our siblings that Jesus desires of us. But experiencing joy and celebration and extravagance, even as we try to live lives of compassionate discipleship, in solidarity with all those who are suffering, finding, finding that joy in thanksgiving, it is also a form of grace. Finding that thanksgiving and that abundance is a form of grace that Jesus extends to us. We don't deserve it, but somehow, some way, God gifts it. And so this week, my challenge to us in the heaviness of the world that can feel heavier every day, I challenge us to find joy, to experience abundance in some way, to celebrate, to indulge in the foretaste of God's heavenly banquet. And perhaps that's today as you spend time with family and you honor those mothering figures in your lives. Maybe that's in some other way, noticing the extravagance of God's love, even in the simplest of settings. Know that in the celebration, in that joy, Jesus sees you and Jesus longs to be with you, to join you and display all that you need, even when it feels like the wine is running out. It may feel like a frivolous request to keep that party going just a little longer. But remember, the jars didn't stay water, and Jesus didn't ruin a perfectly good party after all. So party on. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we go from this place, remembering that the God who calls us into mission also calls us into feasting and dancing. Let us remember that there are holy days described in the Jewish text in which there is to be no fasting, but eating and drinking and the sharing of miracles. May the one who turned water into wine turn our tedium into festival and show us how to alternate between commitment and carnival. May God's will be done here where we live May impossible things come to pass, and may we find strength in the journey and joy even amid the struggle. Through the grace of God. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.